Longest Day is a podcast from a female-founded destination practice that believes that crisis isn't an if, it's a when. We are an organization unafraid of crisis, but have never known one to be resolved in a single day. However long the day or night that gave rise to the crisis in the first place, there's always something we can learn. I'm Leah, the founder and CEO of Broadstairs Consulting, a problem-solving consultancy offering crisis and governance advisory services to help leaders and organizations thrive and flourish. We operate in the gap between legal and public relations, at the coalface of difficult situations, believing that most crises are avoidable and the impact of inevitable ones usually can be mitigated. Our guests have overcome a litany of crises. Many of our guests have worked with us in some capacity in the past. All of them have stories worth hearing. We trust them to make this worth your while. We hope it helps you trust us. Jeremy Marshall lives in Kent with his wife. They have three adult children. He grew up Bible smuggling every summer behind the Iron Curtain with his father, who was an evangelical free pastor. His last job was CEO of the UK's oldest private bank, C. Horenco. He and some friends recently acquired Kingdom Bank and planned to develop it to help churches grow. For the last few years, he's been on a mission to use as much of the NHS as possible. So far, oncology, ophthalmology, and cardiology. Eight years ago, he was given 18 months to live with incurable cancer. He is currently going through chemotherapy and has found cancer has made him an accidental evangelist. He regularly speaks to churches, businesses, schools, and students, and has written an evangelistic book entitled Beyond the Big C. Well, Jeremy, uh, welcome to The Longest Day. Thank you so much for being willing to be interviewed. I wonder if you might like to describe your longest day. Yeah, thanks, Leah. So um, it's a day that's stuck in my mind, Friday the 13th, appropriately enough, of June 2015. And I was chief executive of a very prestigious bank called Seahor & Co. And a few years before, in 2012, 2013, I'd had cancer, but they caught it early. And um, it seemed to have been dealt with. I'd forgotten it. But just a few days before the 13th of Friday, the 13th in 2015, I was at a friend's house here in Seven Oaks and I went to adjust my collar. And as I did that, I felt this massive lump, a golf, like a golf ball under, on my collarbone. And I knew straight away what it was that the cancer had come back. So I went back to the hospital. And this was about a week after then I found the lump and my wife and I went over to the hospital and we were given the results of all the tests. And that day changed my life forever. Was there anything in your experience up until that point that helped you in that moment? Yeah, the first time I had cancer, um, that was in twenty. 12, 2013, I had something similar where they'd say, look, you've got cancer, but it's very treatable and we think we can deal with it. So that was like a dry run, if you like. But the first time round, the doctors said, don't worry. And the second time round, they said, you've had it. So that was, that was a preparation, but it was very contrasting. Mm. In a moment like that, I'm sure there are a range of emotions that you experience. 
What was the first thing that you did after hearing that diagnosis in 2015? Yeah, I burst into tears because, <laughs> uh, as we'll talk in a minute, you know, I have a strong Christian faith, but I don't want to die. And not least because I've been with, you know, my father and other loved ones where they've died of cancer. And it's pretty horrible to see people in hospital or hospices dying of cancer. Um, so that was my immediate reaction. My wife was with me and, uh, the doctor said, look, I'm really sorry. And I don't know how we missed it because they had all these tests and screening and somehow, you know, it's a long medical story as to why mm -hmm. they'd missed it, but they had missed it. Um, and you've got tumors everywhere. Um, so fear, I guess, would be my biggest emotion. Yeah, that's how I felt most strongly, fear of dying. But in many senses, that experience was almost the beginning of a story rather than the end of one. Yeah, yeah. although I didn't know that at the time, of course. Yes. How did you get through the, the, the crisis, as it were? Well, um, first of all, just in terms of practical work, um, the, the doctor said, look, you know, we must start treatment straight away. I said, well, he said, well, what do you mean by straight away? He said, well, tomorrow. <laughs> so I said, so you, I should, I should step down from my job. He said, yes, I'm really sorry. So that's a hard thing to do because I really love the job and it's a fantastic place to work. So there are all the kind of practical arrangements there. The key person was the chairman, Lord Wilson of Dinton, Richard Wilson, who was fantastic and, you know, things happen like this and that's the chairman's job is then to kind of guide the ship because I went back to the office and told him look I'm really sorry mm. but um, I'm going to have to step down and uh, he was very supportive and the family that owned the bank the whole family had been very supportive so that was kind of on a practical level but on the kind of mental health level if you like um, the thing that kept me going was my faith um, and I had that before this terminal, incurable diagnosis, but it's kind of an acid test then. Do you really believe what you say you believe? Do you really believe that Jesus has the answer to death? And yeah, I, I do and I have, and I've found that to be the case since. Um, and, um, you know, that, that my faith is so helpful to me and, trying to survive what's been a very tough, very, very tough eight years since because I've been working my way through every department of the NHS since. How has this experience changed your relationship with fear? Well, one thing I find really good, Leah, is the, the Bible, which to me is like a kind of, you can view the Bible many ways, but one way is how should we live? It's a kind of wisdom book, if you like it. There are obviously other wisdom books too, but, and in the Bible, the most common command from Jesus to his disciples was, don't be afraid. So fear is a, a natural thing. And by the way, the answer to fear is not stop fearing. It's something bigger. If, if you like, you kind of imagine you're walking through the bush in Africa and, you know, as, um, a lion appears, right, and you're afraid, but then behind the lion is an elephant, right, which is a lot bigger than the lion, and the lion is afraid of the elephant and runs off. And that's a bit sort of an analogy of how I, how I, how I felt that, you know, 
God, knowing God is something greater and more powerful than even fear itself. But there's nothing wrong with being afraid. And um, it's natural. It's natural to be afraid of dying and death and of cancer. I think when we experience life-shattering news, there are multiple segments of experience. Obviously, on that day, the most important thing wasn't your job. But can you say a little bit about what it was like to have to relinquish yeah. that that position, one of stature, one of responsibility, one where you were yeah. greatly respected? Leah, that was like number 48 on the list of hard things to do. Because when you're told, you know, I'm sorry, you've got tumours everywhere and you know, you've got months to live, that concentrates the mind. And your things that you think, you know, even an hour before were incredibly important, your job, your status, and so on, become much less important. What's really important is your family. You know, nobody on their deathbed says, I wish I'd spent more time in the office. And um, on our deathbed, we won't be surrounded by our colleagues, we'll be surrounded by our family. So the hardest thing, actually, was then having to go out of the hospital and go and tell my family, my children were all at university. I wanted to do it face to face. So I just drove around the country and met them and told them, which was a kind of in, another interesting day. Uh, not, not the happiest day, obviously. Um, because they were kind of you know, happy to see me and had no particular idea why I decided to come and see them. And I had to say, look, I'm really sorry, but I've just got this news. So, um, your family, your priorities change when you're told you're going to die or probably going to die. Your family, your close friends become very, very important and work becomes less, less important. We'll be right back after this advert from our sponsor. This episode of The Longest Day is sponsored by Grosvenor Search, a specialist NED recruiter in the asset management space. Board diversity shouldn't be reducible to tokenism. Rather, efforts to diversify boards must be focused on ensuring that the top 5% of talent are identified and, once recruited, empowered to strengthen existing boards. Grosvenor Search offers a targeted approach to ensure that your board receives the most impressive diverse talent. For more information, email info at grosvenorsearch.com. Let's get back to today's guest. Many would say that you've achieved a huge amount since your diagnosis. Can you talk about how that experience has refined your purpose? Yeah, I mean, I've been through a really, really terrible treatment, especially in the last six months. I mean, I won't go into the details, but just harrowing. At times with the treatment, you almost feel like you're being tortured. It's that bad. But it's it's a good treatment because it's designed to, you know, Prolong life. life, which has happened, and I'm not cured, but the cancer kind of grows, and then I do chemotherapy or surgery or radiotherapy, and it shrinks, and you know, to some extent, and that gives me some extra time. So, you know, that so a few things have happened out of that. You know, one is I hope my experience can help other people who are suffering. Hence, my book. You know, I've written two books: Beyond the Big Sea. And hope in the face of suffering, 
Beyond the Big C is kind of an expanded version of this podcast, if you like. It's my story of what it's like to have cancer. Hope in the Face of Suffering is a book about what does the Bible have to say? Where's, where can we get medicine when you're fearful and suffering? You need to find medicine to treat you. And I've found 20 passages in the Bible which have been really helpful to me. And I, I just you know, took very short chunks and then wrote about why I'd found that helpful. So that's one thing, um, helping other people with cancer, helping other people with suffering. And I couldn't have done that before. You know, if you're a very successful business person, you're not going to be a particular interest to someone who's dying of cancer. But if you've kind of been there, you know what they're like. If you're in their boat, if you like, mm. that gives you a real opportunity to to talk to them. Um, and the other thing is, yeah, I've had some free time. And um, obviously I'm interested in banking and, you know, using money for good, basically, for philanthropy. And I was quite inspired by the Hall family. So Seahor & Co. is a very exclusive upmarket bank, H-O-A-R-E, and it's still after 350 years owned by the same family, which is amazing. And the family have done so much good over that period. You know, they were very involved in the anti-slavery campaign. They were very involved in founding the first hospitals, and the first hospice as well, all sorts of things were bankrolled by the family. So if you have something that's a good bank or whatever, and it's making profits, I think you can use that institution to do good. So anyway, a few years ago, this Christian bank called Kingdom Bank came up for sale. And uh, it's about 60 years old, but it slightly kind of lost its way. And uh, the owners wanted to sell it. Uh, and there were lots of other buyers who weren't particularly Christian or interested in the bank's kind of ethical character because a banking license is very valuable. If you buy a small bank, you have a license, that saves you going through all the approval process. Mm. So I really didn't want to lose this bank because I could see the good it was doing. So some friends and I bought it. Um, the biggest shareholder is a Christian charity called Stewardship which has been around for about a hundred years. They have 35% and then about half a dozen of us, FOJs, friends of Jeremy, <laughs> we have the other two thirds. And um, we've expanded the bank and put in new management, new capital. And what the bank does, it lends money to churches for, for buildings, either for church buildings or for housing for you know youth workers or pastors or whatever. And when I say church buildings, I'm not talking about kind of medieval cathedrals. A typical church you would borrow from us is, you know, in London, there's loads of vibrant, you know, multi-ethnic churches, and they're new, but they haven't got a building. So you might buy an old warehouse, for example, and we would help them do that. And then these churches, and I've seen many of them in action, you know, they, they do so many things to help their community. Obviously, they tell people about Jesus, but they also do food banks. They do a lot of stuff, caring for refugees. That's another thing I've got involved in. Mm. I've managed to take about 50 Ukrainian refugees wow. to, a, to a church. That's nothing to do with Kingdom Bank. But um, anyway, if you can finance churches, um, you know, they do a tremendous amount of good. 
food banks, teaching English as a foreign language, caring for refugees, uh, mums and toddlers groups, and, and, and. And, yeah, it's really, it's really rewarding then to, and I couldn't, if I was busy in my old job, I wouldn't have had the time. Now I had the time to, yeah, try and, try and do some good. And if, you know, I, I didn't grow up with any money at all, by the way. My father was a, a pastor in a new town in Hertfordshire. So I've made, you know, some money in banking, but the Bible says to those who much is given, much will be required. So we have an opportunity to do good with the money and the skills we've got. What advice would you give to someone who stumbles upon unthinkable circumstances and who is in a position of responsibility to help them keep going? Well, the key question is, what's it all about, right? Because for me, my life was not about making money and being CEO. My life is about being a follower of Jesus Christ. And that wasn't changed in one inch in what happened. But if your life is just about making money and being successful, and by the way, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but if that's the goal of your life, the only thing you base your life on, then sorry to break the news, but one day you're going to die, right? And, you know, the Americans joke, which is I like, is I've never seen a hearse with a U-Haul. In other words, you know, a funeral car with a coffin, it would be ludicrous, wouldn't it, if attached to the back you had a big U-Haul, a trailer with all your possessions in, right? I know the ancient Egyptians tried to do that, but you can't take it with you. So that's my, if you're a person and you're very successful or you want to be successful, to what end? Because we're all going to die. And if your life is just about making money and you think you'll find satisfaction in that, I don't think that's the case. I mean, as a, I spent most of my career there advising very wealthy people, and having money doesn't necessarily make you happy at all. In fact, sometimes the exact reverse. Is there anything that, as you look back over your career, you would do differently now? Yeah, I think um, not at halls, but at, when I was working in Wall Street and the city before, I just worked too hard. I mean, my wife, who you just met, we've been married 36 years. She's very tolerant, but I think I kind of presume too much on her goodwill. So that would be um, that would be something that I would uh, definitely do differently, prioritise things in a different way. One of the things we have been asking all of our guests, as a bit of a red herring, is if you had to endure your longest day again to make it better and I'm not sure in your case it would have made it better I don't think anything could have made your day better but what would be your go-to comfort food yeah the bible because when I read the bible I find it's someone called the bible letters from home and I love that so home for me is god that's what I'm made for. That's what we're all made for. And God calls us home, but we've left home and we're wandering around lost. So when I read, for example, yeah, the 23rd Psalm, the Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. I read this verse. Yes, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. 
So if I'd known what was going to happen, I would have kind of taken more medicine, spiritual medicine that morning, and probably I would have gone to one of the Psalms and would have just tuned it over and that would have done me good. When in the afternoon I was told, I'm sorry, you've you've had it. I can't recommend the Bible enough. Now, I know it's a big book and difficult to read, and maybe some people listening have never looked at it. What I'd recommend is start with one of the Gospels. The Bible is like a library, really. It's 66 books in a mini library, and four of those books are what's called Gospels, which means good news in Greek, and they are the four eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life. And What's the Bible about? It's about Jesus, really, about a lot of things, but that he, Christians believe, our Jewish friends would have a different perspective, but Christians would believe that the Bible is, is really about Jesus. And if you're not sure where to start, there's a thing called the Word One-to-One. It's got an app and a website, and it's basically a way where you can just look at one of the Gospels with a, you know, you can find someone online who will answer your questions, or you can do it for yourself just under your own under your own steam, whatever you prefer. But yeah, if you're facing suffering, tough times, tragedy, then for me, I go to the Bible and I recommend other people do the same. Jeremy, I'm here smiling with you because I'm just so encouraged. It has been an absolute delight to interview you, to meet you, to hear your story, um, to hear your wisdom, um, and to just have that piece of a future hope. Um, thank you for sharing with us and thank you for these books and um, I'm sure that this will be a great encouragement to many. Thanks Liam, thanks for having me, God bless. You've been listening to a Broadstairs Consulting Limited podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Tune in soon to hear the next instalment of The Longest Day. Copyright 2023, production copyright, Broadstairs Consulting Limited. All rights reserved.